pop that Sudafed, <clears throat> and clear your throat. It's the Woodworking Morning Show. Think people are used to us being late? That no one is here on time. We're usually the ish of the nine thirty ish. Okay, well, <laughs> hey, I'm going to thumbs down you guys for not being here. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Yeah, well, good morning, everybody. Good it is morning. the the I woodworking feel, morning show. I feel like squished. No, you're perfect. Right is where that, you are. Is that what uh, happened? Oh, see, oh, okay. I stand here. You sit there. That's how it works. So, good morning, everybody. I'm Mark. And I'm Nicole. And we are your tour guides on this tour yes. of the world of woodworking. Yes, and see, my <clears> mug <throat> even says who I am. Oh, speaking of mugs, <clears throat> it's going to be a bad morning for the throat. I just got to warn you ahead of time. Uh, anyone have one of these? You guys That's recognize old. this? This is old school Rockler right here. Rockler used to sell these router coffee mugs. <laughs> and I have had this thing. For ages, and uh, I saw it in the laundry room because mm -hmm. it's not like in my regular mug circulation. Because look at it, it's all big and wonky. Um, but I took it out of the cabinet, washed it up, and I'm like, this is going to be a good Friday show thingy. You try, you have tried over the years. Mm -hmm. So I got this for you when we lived in California, and over the years, he's tried to get me to like get rid of it. I'm like, mm -hmm. no, I'm not getting rid of this. <laughs> and so I usually we just kind of put in it, put it in a cabinet or whatever. I gotta tell you, something looks like it's wrong with with notifications. We have yeah. an incredibly low number of people watching. They just don't like us anymore. And low low number of people in the chat, which is not typical. So something must be weird. Uh, what did you pick when you went live? I picked the correct one for the morning show. All right, weird. Yeah. I don't know. Anyone know what's going on? Did anybody get a notification uh, or? Let's see. What the heck is going on? I'll let on you here? know if I got a notification. But normally at this point in the show, to only have three people watching. <laughs> Something's wrong, Nicole. <clears throat> no. Yeah, I don't. I didn't get a notification. Check the uh, Patreon thing. See if it's in, like if I do have the correct embed. Yeah, let's hope. I mean, I know I picked the right one. I'm just wondering if something is whacked out. <laughs> We're, bear with us. You know how this stuff goes. But let's something's see. definitely wrong with this uh, one right here. Is the show? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. There it goes. There, hey. Hey. That's the show. Okay. Well, uh, you know, whether one person is watching or a hundred people are watching, we'll do the show anyway because we don't care. I mean, we care. Well, but we do it because. Well, the we weird love thing it. is, it says I see the live stream offline. He says, "No, do you see us? Um, we're live." The weird thing is, I think a lot of people go to the live page, and for whatever reason, mm -hmm. it does not show up on the live page. <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know, know YouTube. It Whatever. is what it is. I Whatever. guess we're just going to do the show, right? Yeah, let's Should just we do the going? show. Okay, so if you didn't see the the names on the little uh, title card there, we want to thank some people who helped us out on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash woodwhisperer, Charles McCready, Don's Woodies, Nathan Tarapaki, and Neil Newman. Yay, thank so thank you. you so much for helping us out. Uh, you like these nice short lists of names now? <laughs> <clears throat> It was a little out of, out of control for a while. <sighs> yeah, Robert Murray says the link in Patreon is good. Yeah, I just redirected everybody from the live, <coughs> the the default live page. So it's just not sharing 
an event to the default live page. Mm -hmm. For whatever well, reason. That's just goofy. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, folks, if, if that's happening. It also, what? Can, it also says it's unlisted. Why does it say unlisted? That might be my problem. Oh. <laughs> oh, so this is Nicole's fault. <laughs> I understand now. Oh, no. Okay. So, so when it launched, no one got the notification because it's unlisted. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, should we just continue? Or is there yeah, any, let's just. Is continue. there anything we can do? I'm gonna un I'm gonna unlist it, and we'll see what happens. Or you're gonna make it public. <laughs> yes. Wow. Uh, Good start. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't. I just. I copied defaults. Maybe you copied the one we just used for the guild meeting. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. I'm just gonna start answering questions because that's what we're here to do. Public. Boom. First Publish. question here is from Paul Engel. He says, I'm planning on adding an air quality monitor to my shop so I'll know when it's safe to stop using my face mask and turn off my air filter. The ones I've heard the most positive reviews about are the Dylos. The basic model of the DC-1000 measures down to 2.5 microns. The added feature on the Pro model goes down to 5 microns. Will the extra 2 microns be value of value to my shop. Any ideas on a reference that will tell you the size of most shop-born particles? Well, I have the, uh, I think I've got the pro model, the DC-1100. That's this bad boy right here. I'm going to turn this on. It takes a little while for it to ramp up and start reading accurately, but you'll hear the, hear that? That's a little mm -hmm. fan going. Uh, and what it's going to do is give us two numbers. The reading on the left is a small particle number. Can't remember exactly what the range is. And the one on the right is a larger particle number. And this is something that I use as a tool, um, just as, uh, as Paul said, to kind of decide when it's safe to, to take a respirator off, just to kind of have an idea of what the condition of the shop air is at so that time. So which one is it? There's laser, <clears throat> laser air. Well, that's what we're talking about. So he's got uh, the DC 1100, that's 199. Yeah. And then the Pro, Whew. I don't know, it's confusing. That's it, That's why I'm asking you, because this one... Well, that one's, one's battery operated. We don't need yeah, that one. That's need. really expensive. Yeah. It's like 200 bucks. Anyway, let's answer this question. So the question is, what are the particle sizes, and do we need to go down all the way below... What is the number he said? Um, doo -doo -doo -doo, down below two and two and a half microns. So... I found some mixed information on this. There's, there didn't seem to be a very simple definitive resource, but here's what I found. Um, first of all, when I use my dust mask, that's the one with the pink particulate filters, that guy goes down to 0.3 microns, which is probably lower than we really need for, for wood dust. But the question is, what about that little gap that he mentioned? Um, uh, let, let's see, this other one says, forget about the large chips and visible sawdust. Perhaps the most damaging element is the invisible fine dust, sometimes called coarse inhalable particles ranging from 2 to 10 microns, right? So there is something that says it is, you know, maybe there's an argument to say we should look below 2.5. So if you want that pro model, maybe it's not, you know, a bad thing to get that. Uh, in my opinion, though, when we're just looking at general conditions of the air. I don't know that you need that pro model. And the reason is because we are really worried about most fine dust being 10 microns and smaller. That one will detect that down to, I guess he said two and a half. I think if you know that that two and a half dust is there, you could assume that the smaller stuff is there too, right? So just because it detects that small, I feel like it's close enough with the regular meter to just give you a general sense of how clean the air is. Whether you're getting those last two and a half micron size ranges, even though those are the most dangerous, my point is if 
you know, if the dust shows that you have dust in the air, I'm sorry, if the number shows you have dust in the air and you run the whole thing and you sort of clean the shop up, excuse me, Nicole, <laughs> chances you are talker. if you've run those filters and you've cleaned up the three, four, five micron dust particles, you're probably cleaning the ones a little bit below that too. All that said, I have the one that goes even lower because I'm a little paranoid about this stuff, but I'm trying to be a little more realistic mm -hmm. for like normal people, <laughs> unlike me. <laughs> uh, but I honestly think it's just you, you can assume that you have cleaned the air to that point if the other particles, the slightly larger particles are gone too. But keep in mind, that's the thing with dust collection. It's those tiny, tiny particles that are the most dangerous. Someone uh, last week had asked a question and I didn't get get a chance because we ran out of time, was talking about the like the jet... Uh -huh. uh, air filtration and was asking if that's a good thing to do. Yeah. Because you have, well, you did. What? Well, we got, no, no, I don't have the jet anymore. I've got oh. the two powermatic oh, okay. electrostatic yep, yep. versions. Gotcha. Yeah. So, I mean, it's always a good idea to, to run oh, those you things. Have it. Yeah. You have it. Just to keep the shop air as clean as possible. So, this, again, this is a, a great tool. Um, it, it may seem a little bit overkill. It's like 200 bucks. Um, but it, it might even be one of those things. Like we should buy a unit for the guild yeah. and then like mail it out to different people. The problem is it's a pretty sensitive tool and is easy to break. Yeah. So the idea being though, it really teaches you what works in your shop and what doesn't, how long you need to run, uh, you know, certain things like air cleaners or what happens when you open the window. How does that impact air quality? Um, you can learn a lot in just a couple of weeks of using it and then you don't necessarily need to use it every time and micromanage this stuff. You'll have a general sense for how effective your your uh, dust collection and your air cleaners are. Uh, so if you head on over to uh, amazon.com slash shop slash the wood whisperer, I have a category called Friday Live and I added the Dylos to there um, and any purchases you make through the store uh, sends a few pennies our way. Uh, Looking at the number game. now, we're like, we started the show with three people. We're like, well, okay, I guess this is I it. Guess, I guess. I guess we're going to start. Good, and this is uh, somebody asked the model. It's DC. Uh, the one I have is the DC eleven hundred. Eleven hundred. And there's a DC one thousand. Yeah, I can't get the link. But there's ones for like yeah. battery. Uh, looks like they have a battery model. Things. Like, I mean, a lot of that stuff you're not really going to need to worry about. Weird. Uh, here's another thing. Just as a disclaimer. Yeah. There's always questions about how accurate these things are. Mm -hmm. um, when you're looking at these numbers, I'm not using these numbers to tell me a specific particle count that I'm going to use in a scientific article and publish, right? What I look for is relative numbers. Mm -hmm. So after I run my air cleaners overnight and I start first thing in the morning, I fire this guy up and I look at those numbers. That's my base level. That's going to tell me the shop is as clean as it can get. That's how low that number can get. Then once things start to pick up, all I know is that number is going up and I know I can get it back down lower, right? It's just giving you relative numbers to work from, not absolute numbers. So even if it's not accurate, it's still very, very helpful for, for folks like us. Enough about air cleaners and Dylos. Dylos. Uh, Gordon White asked, <clears throat> please, can you explain your review on finish sanding routine, especially after random orbit sander grits uh, 180 or 120? I tried to do at least one pass with the grain, not rotary, to get into the corners, but uh, he says, by hand, that's slow and painful. Do you go directly to hand sanding or uh, power finish sander like the Festool RTS, DTS models? Do they have a straightforward and uh, forward and back option and going with the grain? Okay, I read that in the most confusing way possible. <laughs> sanding, you, sound, you sound like me. <laughs> and, uh, sanding is one of those things, there are some people who will 
really geek out about this. And they're very specific. Like they've been burned by swirl marks in the past and they've, you know, you see it when you apply finish and you go, oh, so you make sure that never happens to you again. Uh, these are folks who are going to very carefully sand through all the grits, maybe with a random orbit sander. Uh, and then on that final grit, they're going to go with a sanding block with the grain and make good consistent passes and maybe even count their passes to make sure they're getting all those little swirl marks out of there. Uh, I do that sometimes, but not often. Most of the time I find, and this could be sander dependent, maybe a less expensive, uh, cheaper model sander, maybe has a little more vibration, so you might get more tendency for swirl marks. I can tell you just with my experience with the um, ETS sanders and Festool's line, they're pretty darn good sanders. So when I go through the grits, by the time I get to 180, I can no longer really see scratch patterns. From that point, if I want to jump to 220, that's certainly an option. But by the time I go to 220, I really can't see anything. Uh, and if I wipe the surface down, maybe with a little bit of, um, you know, like a damp rag or mineral spirits or something, and I sort of really closely look at what's going on on the surface, I usually can't see anything. And that's my cue to say that I don't need to do anything more than that. Uh, if I do anything more, I mean, it's, it's good um, to be sure that it's perfect. Uh, but generally speaking, I don't have to do that, right? Now, if you do have a situation where you're seeing these scratch patterns appear at those finer grits, it could mean that you're not spending enough time on the lower grits, right? The goal of each grit is to get rid of the scratch marks from the grit before. So if you don't spend enough time at the 120, the 150, the 180, uh, you may wind up carrying those scratches through, and now your 220 can't get those scratches out unless you sand really aggressively for a long time. Um, so it's a matter of spending a lot of time at those grits. But again, an unbalanced sander, putting too much pressure, using sandpaper that's clogged up or maybe has a little um, dust particle on it or a chip of wood, like these are all things that can actually create big problems for you. So it's never a bad idea to hand sand and just kind of go over that surface as a last step with the grain if you are seeing problems. Hopefully you can get equipment and sandpaper that works well enough that you don't have to do that. We got a super chat here from Peter uh, Dunphy. Dunphy, yes. Right, Peter, uh, if you had a question, you didn't put it in the in the chat, mm. but let me know. And and then we got a, a nice super chat from Triple J Customs, Jose. Jose. Hola, Spags, I'm back. What's going on, Jose? How you doing? <laughs> uh, you know, actually, someone just brought up a question, or I um, made a, a point that... I showed in the recent Rubio application video, even if you don't care about Rubio, watch that because the finish preparation stuff is, is relevant to what we're talking about here. Uh, Stumptown mentions the pencil marks. All right, so the pencil mark trick is basically taking a pencil lightly, going over the surface, the entire surface. Use that as your gauge. So if you don't know when to switch from one grit to another, start sanding, right, with those pencil marks there. Once the pencil marks are completely gone and you go a little bit more, now you know you have thoroughly sanded with that grit, pencil marks are gone, change to the next grit, put more pencil marks on there. I use that every single time I switch grits because it just gives me two things. It, it's like a timer. It tells me when it's time to go to the next grit. It also tells me where I've sanded and where I haven't. So sanding evenly over a big surface is always a big deal. With those pencil marks, now I can see the spots. Okay, I've definitely sanded enough there. Let me make sure I just get everything evenly. Uh, I just want to say uh, and give a, a big... Shout out to Bill Ockard in the, the chat. He just got laid off this morning. Oh, Bill. So Sorry, I know man. Bill's not the only one. So if you're watching this and you're going through this crazy layoff process. I, I was uh, listening to um, this just morning. Wanna, hmm? I, just wanted, I just wanted to express my 
heartfelt. Sympathies. <laughs> like, he said they're fine, but it's still it's still changes your whole routine. I was so. I was listening to the Made for Profit podcast this morning, and they uh, had a show about woodworking businesses, what you can do to kind of stay afloat. Weather to, the storm. To, yeah, to weather the storm, how to get aggressive about this stuff. It was a, it was a good show, um, but it had me thinking about this. And it, another thing that crossed my mind is a lot of the guild instructors. Yeah. Uh, we don't necessarily go for content creators. Like right now, there's a little bit of a grace period for people who make a living by making content where they're okay, mm-hmm. right? Because there's still AdSense revenue coming in. Right. Now that is something that even for content producers may be drying up, mm-hmm. right? Sponsors, tool companies, these companies are getting hit hard and there's they're probably gonna... a lot of people who are counting on all those, you know, not just the, the tools to review, but money, cash mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. coming in, that's gonna stop, right? Mm-hmm. Because everybody's getting hit hard. Um, but the guild instructors, a lot of them are not content producers. Right. These are people who are building for clients who are probably getting hosed. Right, mm-hmm. because they're, you know, if you're talking about high-end furniture, who are we talking about here? People who probably have stock investments. Sure. And guess what? They're not happy right now. Yeah. So what's the first thing to go? Luxury items, and then you got people like, um, so, uh, Philip Morley yeah. and Jory, uh, you know, and um, Daryl Peart, Darryl. people who make custom furniture for a living, who are probably going to be in trouble uh, here pretty soon. So, so I don't know. if you're interested in any of those projects, yeah, I mean, I guess if you were ever interested, now's a real good. We're time. getting ready. We pay them quarterly. So we got a couple more days before the quarter is up, and I have to issue checks. Sure, yeah, I guess yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's one way to kind of help. Help some people you probably know in the industry who might be hurting right now. <laughs> Jerry Spence, Nicole, heartfelt mention of a guy who got laid off. Mark, listen to a po- I listened to a podcast. <laughs> what? That is relevant to the conversation. I know, I know, but it's like, just the way his brain <laughs> would crack me up. <laughs> I thought you were done talking. <laughs> you always think that. Yeah, just you're... like I think the same. You must with be you. done. You must be done now because I'm going to talk. <laughs> um, what question was I on? Who knows? Okay, so. This is from Jeremy Long. He says, hey, Mark and Nicole, have you all ever given any thoughts to hosting your own in-person guild gatherings like demonstrations or seminars? It'd be nice to actually meet other guild members. Clearly, this is a post-coronavirus question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've done meetups, you know, locally. We've done some Denver meetups. But as far as demonstrations and things like that, it's hard to do. It's hard for me to do um, because it's a time, it's a really big time sink. Uh, It's something I'd have to prepare for put time into the actual preparation, then the day of the event. Uh, and my shop is my house. So inviting a bunch of strangers over into my shop is usually not... Not a, cool with a, me, usually. Yeah, it's usually not something that Nicole wants me to do. <laughs> so anything local tends to be like... I've done demos at the... the, the well, a demo, I should say, at the local... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Denver Woodworkers Association, I think mm-hmm. it's called, uh, or is it Colorado Woodworkers Association? Anyway, the local woodworking association. Uh, guild. Um, yeah, so they have meetings at the Rockler store, so I've done a presentation there. Um, that's probably going to be the extent of it for a while, only because you know when, you're, when your shop is attached to your house, just having people come over is, is a little bit of a liability that we don't like to do. So there's that. There's that. Um, okay. So Corey... He's planning to build a small bookcase for a friend's baby shower gift. I have a ton of walnut shorts I got from a moving sale, and I'm wondering if there's any issue in building the whole case out of solid, solid wood versus plywood, since I have the stock. No problem at all. Uh, bookcases can absolutely be made of solid wood. You've got to think of a bookcase as you know, certain components are going to be problematic and certain ones aren't. So when you're talking about your top, your sides, your bottom, all of that, Grain direction is going the right way. It's all going to expand and contract front to back. 
The only place you can run into a problem with a solid wood case is a, like basically the back panel because the back panel is now restricted between the sides. So what do you do there? Well, you either put a piece of you know quarter inch plywood back there. If you don't have the ply, then you go old school and you do like shiplap, right? So that's where you have boards that are kind of uh, rabbited and the rabbits overlap one another. And then this way each board gets secured, but each board also has a little bit of room to breathe. Uh, and even though they have room to breathe, the rabbits are overlapping so there's no visual gap. Uh, but that's a classic way to secure the back of a cabinet um, or the back of a bookcase in, in this case. So uh, no problems at all using solid wood as long as you follow traditional um, wood movement rules. Okay, I've got more here, two more. Yeah, more than that. Well, I again, I, I was up at like 5.30 and I picked the questions <laughs> what, at 5.30. What got you up at 5.30? I was, I was up when Ava cried. Oh. And then after she cried, I was really up. Yeah. So then I just got up. <laughs> Me, I'm like, I crawl. I'm like, just go back to bed. Go back to bed. Yeah. <laughs> I crawl in with her and I fall asleep. Sleepy, sleepy time. Yeah. Tony Tang says, hey, Mark, does there Tony. exist such a thing as a good jigsaw or jigsaw blade? I got crazy tear out today from my DeWalt jigsaw and my new Bosch blade. And I tried blue tape, adding a backer board, and nothing worked. You sh I mean, part of the problem with the jigsaw is just by nature, it's a rough cutting tool. Yeah. It's like, it's aggressive, it's jumpy. Uh, a lot of the, the teeth are pretty aggressive. So sometimes I've even used like a metal cutting blade if I'm cutting plywood, right? The metal cutting blades have those really teeny tiny teeth and you gotta go slow. And it's not something you're gonna do a lot of, but if it's a real sensitive cut and it's the only tool you could use to do it, sometimes that can work. Uh, you can also get, um, I'm sure Bosch has these, I know Festool branded blades come in very high tooth counts, very fine teeth, that's what you want. Uh, if you see big chunky teeth on there, yeah, it's an aggressive uh, blade and that's gonna tear the crap out of anything you're cutting, especially if you go cross grain or you're using plywood. So keep in mind though that this tool is just not really intended for fine cuts. So anytime I use a jigsaw, I kind of in the back of my mind know that I'm gonna lose like a good quarter inch off of whatever I'm cutting uh, just to recover from the tear out. Um, but look around, there are blades that have a very fine tooth structure that will give you a better result. Uh, now it could there could be something with the saw too. Uh, sometimes if the saw just has a lot of you know it's jumpy and chattery, um, maybe there's an issue there. Check the settings on the saw. There are usually settings where you can kind of vary the approach of the blade that can make it more or less aggressive. Go for the less aggressive option. Um, but other than that, you know it's just not really a tool that's meant for fine cuts. Um, though the better ones can accomplish decent cuts with the right blade. I got a super chat from... Okay. Oh, I got to refresh it. Sorry. Mm. <laughs> oh, I got multiple. Timothy Harris, what are the basic rules for mortise and tenor, tenon joints, depth of mortise and width of tenon? Mark made an offhand comment about, about following them last show. Don't we have a video for that? Um, no. Well, I thought, I thought yeah. you did a live, we did it a okay, okay. back a long, in Arizona, we yeah. did a live. A long time ago, I think I did do something on just basic mortise and tenon joints. Yeah. It's an early video. It was and a double mortise and tenon. No, that that's a different thing. Oh, that's I did a different. double mortise and tenon joint, but that was not a like uh, mortise and tenon rules. Gotcha. So here's two things. I don't remember these numbers. I never remember them off the top of my head. I did talk about it in my book, Essential Joinery. Uh, we covered the details in there. Uh, the approach I took there was a little bit more of my current, obviously, because it was a recent book, my current way of thinking about this. Some of these rules don't always apply. You have to, like, the rules kind of are 
based on a certain set of conditions, well, sometimes those conditions aren't there. So you have to know, okay, this is what we're shooting for, but adjust based on this. And that's mm -hmm. kind of the approach I took in the book. Um, if you look at that early video, you'll get some of the more basics. I think it's like you want your tenon to be one third of the thickness is it of the workpiece. Not that one. The loose. Nope. No, not that one. Uh, it's early, early. That was like that this one? year. No. Early, uh, early. Early. That one? No. Oh my God. <laughs> Tenons, anyone? Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Early, tenons, anyone. Like first year. Oh. <laughs> Early. So there's that. Uh, also, just Google this. I think Pop Woodworking, actually, probably every woodworking magazine website has an article on mortise and tenon dimensions, classic mortise and tenon dimensions. And you could find that information. Um, pretty tried and true sources as well. <laughs> okay. You got, a, you got another one? My last one here is from Nathan Rearwurtz. He says, I need help making a decision regarding purchasing a Powermatic bandsaw. I basically have a hobby shop that's slowly turning into a little bit more. My old bandsaw died an unfortunate death and I need to replace it. Haven't had the ability to resaw for some time and I need to get back, uh, okay, back into that and cutting curves. Question is this, is the extra money worth the step up to the PM1500 over the 14 inch saw? I've already run the proper electrical, so that's not an issue. And I always uh, stuck to buying more than what you need today. Okay. Please give your thoughts. I actually do think if you're going for one bandsaw and you already know that resawing is something you're gonna wanna do quite a bit of, don't get the 14 inch saw. I think you need the bigger saw with more power, the ability to take a wider range of blades. Um, you've got more resaw capacity on it. The 14 inch saw is fantastic, tuned up properly with the right blade. You absolutely can do resawing on that. Uh, but the way you're describing this, it sounds like you, you kind of know what you want. And I think if you already know you're going to be doing more resawing, go for the bigger machine. If it's in the budget, you got the power hookup right there. I got to encourage you to go for the more powerful, larger format tool uh, in this case. I maintain two of them because I'm lazy and there's times I want to cut curves, you know, really Love tight how curves. Honest you are. I'm just lazy. <clears throat> I am lazy. I want to cut tight curves. So I don't want to have to swap blades out for those different operations. So having two bandsaws really serves my needs a lot. But if I had to lose one and only had one bandsaw in the shop, it would be the, P the PM1500. Um, no doubt about it. There you go. Okay, that is all. No, it's not all. Of my. It's definitely not Pre-selected questions. Hey, you know what I got sitting right here? Oh, <clears throat> yeah. Oh, right. shoot. <laughs> Breaking it. <laughs> that wasn't supposed to break. Okay. And what time did you get those questions? Early. I told you, like 5.30. Hold on. I just dropped part of this. So this is, um, this is a project I'm working on right now. Set of nesting tables. This is the larger of the two. And it's kind of, I just dropped the circle, so it's not on there. But you see the circle right here? Mm -hmm. It kind of, if you look at it, it's almost like um, circle, concentric circles. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of got a weird, you know, neat little visual aspect to it, curved legs. This is the project I'm working on right now, and that is in the guild and starts next week. So if you're interested in that, the price is actually the lowest it's going to be right now um, if anybody wants to jump in on that one. Just did a little two-table two Did you answer Corey's about the small bookcase? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Nathan re re mm -hmm. Rewerts. Hello, Mark. Just answered that. Oh, you just did? About the hobby? Go to Chris's question. Okay, Chris Kalnassi. Mark, are you... You're about due for a new shop move. This is true. <laughs> no, seriously, though. I'm curious, now that you've been in the land of the snow for a few years with this shop, what is one of the must-have things in the new shop, aside from obvious like dust collection or climate control, uh, trying to think of everything for my new build? 
Um, Floor mats. Uh, power. Power. <laughs> no, that, he's talking <laughs> about the obvious. Was there anything that you added? I mean, these were new, but... Um, uh, well, I mean, a lot of the things I add, the creature comforts I add, <clears throat> are from a content production perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I add certain things for lighting that if you're just building furniture, you won't need. I've got sound absorption in yeah. here to yeah. to cut down on the echo. The, the <laughs> little uh, dilly bobber thingies that you pull down. The kids, yeah, a little um, the, retractable power Yeah, things. kids love those <laughs> because they're automatic and they um, pull it and push the button. Speakers. How yeah. about a sound system? Yeah. Jeez, this is awful. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, speakers in the ceiling is really nice. Distributed audio throughout the shop is a nice thing. Uh, shoot. Windows? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. natural light is always a good thing. Natural light and fresh air. These are two things that um, I know in the Arizona shop, I definitely went very light on that, and I shouldn't have done that. Um, I also want, I should have put a door in the back. So you remember that where the dust collector <clears throat> was all the way in the back of the shop? Yeah. So it would have been so nice if I just had a door in the back and more windows would have been good too. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you uh, air filter, air, air filter. Yeah, you utilize the space pretty well. And depending on where you are, Chris, I don't know if it's possible, but one thing that I do miss, and again, seasonally, I don't know how often I would do that, especially here, but I really miss venting outside. Mm-hmm. Like, especially with the CNC running and as much MDF as we're cutting, um, it's it's really clogging up my filter. And again, there's the environmental responsibility thing, you know, just blowing that stuff out into the environment. The neighbors. <clears throat> and, and your neighbors. Whether that's the right thing to do or not, I, I can't answer that for you. But if you live in an area where you've got some room, you may consider uh, possibly venting outside. So the nesting table starts next week, oh. right? William Patrick Customs. See, I'm not, my, my brain's not in it right now. Really good ideas coming from the chat room. Um, sub-panel and outlets. Make sure you've got the proper amount of electricity to handle all the circuits that you're going to be putting in. Um, and also, <laughs> overdo it on the outlets. That's yeah. always a good thing. Right now, I overdo it. I've got a 220 and connection you still got here. this. Right. Well, that's because it's in the middle of the floor. <laughs> um, but I got a 220 here that I'm never going to use because there's no 220 tools anywhere near this, but it's there. Because if I ever wanted to reconfigure, I've got an outlet here. I've never used 220 in that corner, but then the CNC suddenly came in, and now I'm using those outlets. So, you know, just try to future-proof yourself. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I got a super chat from Jeff Collins. Mark picked up the Makita track saw and love it. However, I find I have about four inches on either side of the track that mm -hmm. I can't trim to the blade. Is there a good way to trim the track all the way to the ends? I don't know what, I, I, I know I said a bunch of words. At the ends, they always kind of get frayed no matter what you do. The problem is what he's talking about is you've got a little uh, strip, like a rubber mm -hmm. strip that helps with the zero clearance and helps reduce tear out. So at the very start, in order to fully trim it, you've got about half of the saw off the track and same thing oh, on the other end, half the saw is off the yeah, track. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it just kind of gets hit over time. What I would probably do, I've never done this, but now that I'm thinking about like, hmm, how could I get around this? After you do a safe full cut all the way through, whatever's left is almost inconsequential. It doesn't really matter very much. I might then grab a straight edge once I do that first cut and a razor blade and go and cut it manually. And this way it doesn't get in the way. It should still be referencing, you know, close to the rest of the actual cut and it won't get frayed. Because part of the problem is, 
Once it starts to get frayed, uh, the adhesive can start to let go, and that's where it starts to come off. So if you could... <clears throat> processing liquids here. Yeah, I know. I can talk. No, it's okay. If if you... If <laughs> no, you, I'll just suffer through it. So you don't you, say a word. <laughs> if you cut that stuff away ahead of time, then maybe it won't contribute to the thing becoming, you know, coming off mm-hmm. of there. So. Hey, just Ian, the barefoot woodworker <laughs> who's in Australia. It's 2 a.m. He's in the chat. Oh, nice. Hi, Ian. What are you doing up? Go to bed. He, maybe he doesn't want to go to bed. Maybe he's a night owl. Yeah. Remember when we used to stay up to like 2 a.m. playing World that of Warcraft. That never happened. Oh, it was a different lifetime. Beautiful times. Mm-hmm. I thought about going into WoW, but then I was like, I can barely go into Animal Crossing right now. <laughs> uh, I was listening to the instance, and Scott was saying something about list, different listeners that they have, and mm-hmm. that some people still listen even though they don't play the show. And I was like, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I like to still, in my mind, pretend that I'm playing a mm-hmm. game. Even though I'm not. Those fond memories. That's it. Good times <clears throat> when we had lots of free time. <laughs> yep. uh, Alex Kilpatrick did a super chat. Uh, could you discuss coping saw versus fret saw versus jeweler saw versus <laughs> other options for cleaning, uh, clearing waste from dovetails? How about the router? Oh. I, don't, um, I don't think that would <clears throat> So what do I have here? You do got I the little <clears throat> tippy tap chisels. So I can tell you coping and fret, right? Coping big, fret small. <laughs> now jewelers, isn't that even smaller than a fret saw? I think so. I'm pretty sure. You don't need that. I mean, unless you're really trying to, to make teeny tiny. I don't know, make a funny picture that, a that becomes a good meme about teeny tiny dovetails. <laughs> um, but look, I mean, from there, I'm, I wonder if you guys can even see that blade, right? The fret saw blade is pretty, pretty tiny. So coping saw, fret saw usually is all I'm worried about. I don't know enough about the jeweler's saw to say anything about it. Um, But generally speaking, coping saw is going to do like 90% of what you want to do. If you're getting into really, really tiny pins, you may have to do the fret saw. Uh, I'm not sure what Jacob Reich is asking me. He says, have you ever thought about grabbing all the finished episodes and packaging them as a separate project? That way we have reference to finish finish strategies and not the entire project. I want to watch you finish the white oak, but I really don't need the nesting tables. Um, The the problem is sometimes the finishing aspect. Well, I mean, in the guild, that is the one place, unlike the free site, where we do try to take the time to make it a full finishing lesson. Mm -hmm. I... I'm not going to say much about that because that's interesting. It's mm-hmm. an interesting proposal. And you and could I, take a whole bunch of <clears throat> how you finished. Yeah, at the end of each project, yeah. lump them together. Yeah. Maybe. Hmm. We'll think about that. I get, I've I, never thought about it in those terms. So there's there might be there might be some meat to bite into hmm. there. Uh, that's interesting. Because I immediately, initially was like, yeah, you can't, we can't do that. But I'm like, well, mm-hmm. why, why can't we do that? Yeah. I mean, you have, how many years <clears throat> have we been doing the guild now? 2009? One or two. But that's a lot of it's a lot of projects that have different yeah. finishing applications. Different, different finish, different application, well, different wood species. And the Adirondack is really interesting because you go back. There's a follow up. There's a follow up on that. Yeah, one. we've done that on a couple projects where we've revisited mm. it and uh, you know shown a recent update on it. I think we did that on the the workbench Aha, too. Jacob, you got. <clears throat> I think you got something. All right. Uh, hey, Darth. Darth Mar- Marcus is in Yo. the in the 
Did I miss Nicole calling Mark a punk again? <laughs> when did you call me a punk? You are a punk. I am, but when I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think you did. I didn't. Today. I didn't do it today. I'm <laughs> sure I'll do it eventually. <laughs> All right, got? I got a question uh, from Dan Plan D Woodworks. Super late question. Sorry, I just thought of it on the toilet this morning. <laughs> oh, oh, that's good. The question smells like poop, Dan. <laughs> I realize that I only have twist bits in my shop, and I've been thinking that I should get a good set of brad points. Number, I agree. Number one, do I need need brad points? Yep. Uh, number two, got any good suggestions for brands easily available in the U.S.? Lee Valley, maybe, or isn't Lee Valley Canadian, though? They're Canadian. Okay. But they've got warehouses in the U.S. Yeah. Or is there a point of diminishing returns after At least I think they do. <laughs> don't they have a place in New York? I don't know. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, or because it's like uh, Niagara Falls area, yeah, right? Well, yeah, that's where the border Niagara is. Niagara Falls. That's where the border is. Niagara though. Falls. Um, is there a point of diminishing returns after you spend a certain amount? Yeah, I mean, kind of. There, there can be. And there's really expensive, like, titanium ones. Lee Valley's bits. I actually did a... Yeah, I did a video on this one about premium Brad Point bits. There's a bunch in Amazon. Yeah, well, the thing is, those are the ones, a lot of those, I can't speak for them all, but yeah. most of the ones where you see a big set and it's pretty cheap, those are the ones that are going to burn. They're going to start uh, to blue on you and you just, they, they wind up being toast after a while. This one's $71 and it has pretty good ratings. Fish? Fish. Fish brand? Yeah, that one looks pretty decent. DeWalt has a set. Um, so I kind of got tired of buying these sets over and over and getting bits that burn. So I bought the ones from Lee Valley. They're expensive. But if you add how many times I've replaced certain bits, it was actually well worth it. Mm -hmm. um, so they've got those ones. I think they're titanium tipped or whatever. Um, but they're really, really good quality. I personally think if you're into fine woodworking, if you are sometimes drilling visible holes, you are going to want clean entrance and exits. And a Brad Point bit is a really good way to accomplish that. Also, a lot of times with um, very precise woodworking, we need to have pinpoint accuracy on where that drill is going. So if you have a crosshair, you want to be able to hit the center. That's hard to do with a twist bit. So the Brad Point bit has the, the spurs on the outside and that little point. That's what they, That's how it gets its name is that little point in the center. And you could really nail a, a very specific drill location. It's hard to do with any other kind of bit. So um, I do think they are... Maybe not a necessity, but they're pretty high up there uh, for drilling operations and furniture. So the chat room is saying that this fish brand the fish set? is, they really like it. it I mean, it, it's not cheap, but it looks like you get a decent number of bits and the price isn't... Uh-oh, I, I hear Ava, Ava screaming. screaming. <laughs> I'll be right back. <clears throat> the, uh, the price isn't... I'll grab it Okay. so you don't drop it hard. Okay. The price isn't ridiculous at 70 bucks, so that looks like it could be a good... Decent buy. Whoa, whoa. I'm trying not to make noise with her microphone, so forgive me, forgive me. Okay. I'm just reading through questions here, and this is where you guys go, yeah, it's always better when uh, when Nicole's here. Okay, so, Sill. Can you pass it on to Mark? Okay. Yeah, I'll pass it to him. Uh, now that he has two CNCs, is he planning on comparing them to the handheld Shaper Origin? That would be cool. I just lost it that quickly. Uh, I actually don't plan on keeping both of these. So the reason I have two CNCs is for demonstration purposes for the beginner CNC series that we were going to film. 
the Shaper is not part of that. What I have is the um, the Hoochie Hoochie, the Shape Oko. And the Hoochie Hoochie, the Shape Oko. Obviously, I'm going to keep the Powermatic, um, but the Shaper Origin is really cool. I don't plan on doing any kind of comparisons with that initially, um, but we'll, we'll see. I'm, I mean, because the thing is, like, I don't want to give anyone the wrong impression that I'm going to be like the CNC guy now. Mm-hmm. Like I got two and I spent the money on that, but as soon as that series is done, that beginner CNC series, probably going to get rid of the Shape Oko and sell it to someone locally who could really use it. Um, are you t- are you doing Sly's question? S- yes, yeah, okay. oh, slow. So yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, to explain my logic yeah, behind yeah, yeah. Uh, what I'm keeping and what I'm not keeping. The Shaper Origin is interesting though, and maybe once I get a little bit more. <sighs> You know, comfortable with the language of CNC and understanding what it does and what it doesn't do. Uh, maybe there might be a reason why I would do that. So never say never. Chris wants to know if you need to borrow a Shaper Origin. You want to borrow one? Uh-uh. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> no, if I really need it for something, I'll just buy it. Yeah. Uh, I got a question here from Daniel Roberts. Have you used your walrus walrus oil yet? Impressions? Which one? I think the uh, the one Furniture that you're. Butter? Yeah. No. 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 Was that the one that polymerized? What's the polymerized one? Uh huh. The one you were like, oh, I've been waiting for the polymer. Oh, the furniture butter. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. so it's like an oil wax yeah. blend. Haven't used it on a piece of furniture. Um, you know, the, the thing about the walrus oil, it, it's when we talk about hard wax oils, right? We talk about Rubio, talk about Osmo. Those are in a different classification, right? Usually what they do, what I find, if we're going to simplify this as much as possible, they get you to the same place as a traditional oil and wax finish, or at least close to the same place, but they do it in like one coat, and it's a little bit better, right? If you do a traditional oil and wax, it's something that usually multiple coats over time, as things cure, you might eventually get it to the point that you've got the the same level of, uh, you know, water repellent, uh, you know, heat um, resistance, um, you know, the moisture resistance and also just the uh, visual impact of it. Does it look good? Um, you can get there eventually with a traditional oil and wax finish, but it takes longer. Uh, for instance, on my desk, I finished that with a traditional oil and wax, polymerized oil and uh, some beeswax, carnauba mixed together. And that finish, it looks good. It's okay, but it's not nearly as protective as things that I've finished with a single coat of Rubio uh, or even Osmo. So where does this walrus oil furniture butter fit in? It's basically a very convenient single package of that oil-wax combination, right? The more traditional one. I don't think it's going to necessarily compete on the same level as a Rubio or an Osmo. It's a, it's a, more, it's a simpler product, and even you might say a more natural product. So depending on what you're using it for, that might be attractive. If you don't want this other stuff on your cutting board, maybe this um, furniture butter is an option or uh, countertops that it's you like don't butter. want it on. Yeah. It's so, like butter. It's a personal preference sort of thing, uh, but I would definitely classify it more as your traditional oil wax and not necessarily like a hard wax oil. Uh, Chewy is in the chat room and uh, said, for the first time in years, my wife sent me to the work wood sharp. Wood, wood sharp? Wood sharp. <laughs> hey, Chewy, where's my dog food? <laughs> Am I being tested? <laughs> I've, been wa- I've been waiting a week she for She wants it. you to make her something and also probably to get out of her hair in the most lovingly way It's a weird possible. time. It is a weird time. <laughs> People are like, all right, you know what? You should go to the shop now because you're annoying the crap out of And the dogs are like, I have had enough walks. Yeah. That's the thing. Everybody (laughs) around here is walking their dog like crazy because it's one of the things that is, you know, makes it permissible. Yeah. Is that the word? To uh, to actually go out 
of the house. <laughs> so everyone's dogs are very well well exercised. <laughs> uh, Plan D Woodworks. The furniture butter right now it looks like it's on sale for twenty bucks. Oh no, thirty bucks. Thirty one dollars. Yeah. So normally 33 though, I mean, it's two bucks off. Yeah, so I, that's the thing with the furniture butter. I don't want you to apply that to a piece of furniture and expect a miracle. It's going to be a very quick, simple, and very natural way to get an oil wax finish with less effort than it might be in a traditional way of doing it. Um, it's a really nice, compact little system. And you're supporting a small business too. Yeah, I like it. I mean, yeah. overall, I like it, but I just want to make sure people understand we're talking about different, chemically, mm-hmm. like different categories of finishes. Uh, let's see here. I got a question from Brian Tharp. Having, uh, Thorpe, having to sand to 220. No, it Thorpe. Oh, I oh. just said Thorpe. Oh, okay. <laughs> I wasn't correcting you. Okay. I know it's hard to tell the difference. <laughs> Can you imagine living with me? I've had to remind him so many times that our kids do not get sarcasm. Yes, they do. No, they do not. In certain aspects, Some, they do. Mateo is finally starting, but Ava, no. Listen, ever since... <laughs> I had that little conversation at one of our Denver meetups mm-hmm. with Michael, the therapist. Mm-hmm. I had a conversation about sarcasm. I have, yeah, I have led, like, laid off yeah. of sarcasm. I know, and I'm, I'm really proud a, of you. I'm still a smartass. Yeah. And I I'm still make jokes. Thank you, Mike. But I, I do avoid, well, the thing is I also looked at it a little bit closer and evaluated what true sarcasm is yeah. and what makes it bad for children mm-hmm. and realized a lot of what I do is just being a smartass. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily sarcasm. So, But this is something I've given a lot of thought to. I don't want to screw my kids up <laughs> with being you know, sarcastic I never knew what my dad was serious. See Mateo in therapy when he gets older. It's always my dad's stupid dad jokes. <laughs> anyway, back to Brian's question. Sorry, there was a question. <laughs> Having to sand 220 on hard maple and getting rid of all the marks and having a problem getting gel stain to leave enough color, Uh would raising the grain help? You know, they say that raising the grain can help a little bit, but a lot of times what we do after we raise the grain is we sand it back uh, to make sure it's still smooth. So maybe there's a little happy medium there where you've uh, the, the grain kind of becomes a little bit more thirsty in a sense. One of the things you can do is sand to a lower grit. You don't have to go as high. The higher you sand, the more you kind of close off the pores. You sort of burnish the surface to the point where it doesn't want to accept any stain. So going with a lighter sanding, maybe stop at 150, see what it looks like. Um, 180 at the most. Uh, if you go any higher, again, you're going to have this you know uh, issue where it's just not going to take the stain in. Um <laughs> Let me see the rest of the question. Uh, okay. Right there. So, I mean, I guess, yeah, you could try that, but I think really um, see if you can get away with a lower grit sanding, and it will probably pull more color in. Mm-hmm. Also consider maybe different types of stain. Maybe the gel stain just isn't uh, giving you the color you want. Maybe you want to look at some kind of dye, but then you got to worry about blotch. It's a whole thing with maple. Uh, Steve, or Steve, I was going to call him Steven. Steve. Steve. Uh, speaking of Rubio and Osmo, can you compare the two uh, and what the coverage is like? I'm planning a dining room table. Is the 350 milli, is it milliliter? Milliliter. Enough for a tabletop like this? I think it should be. A little bit goes a long way with both products. Um, comparing them is a little bit tricky because Osmo's product line is a little bit more vast. Like they've got a variety of things. So it depends on which Osmo product you're talking about. There's also not just different products, but different application methods. Some of these Osmo products can be, um, you know, just sort of spread on like Rubio. Spread on, 
uh, distributed along the surface, buffed in, and then wiped off. That's one method. But there's also rollers that you can use to apply it. You can get a thick coating on there. You can't do that with Rubio. Uh, so, you know, the whole thing with Osmo is it just kind of depends on which product you're talking about and which application method you choose to use. Um, I think Osmo is definitely the more versatile product because of that, because you can do different things, get a different visual impact. Uh, our coffee table looks like it almost looks like it has a satin poly on it or a satin clear coat of uh, something that's film forming, even though it's just Osmo because I rolled it on and it actually does dry like that. So kind of depends on which one you're doing. Um, but I do think the 350 should be enough for a tabletop. I mean, truly, the way, if, especially if you use a plastic spreader and really spread that around thin and then buff it in and spread it around, it's, it's a little bit goes a really long way. Like a liter of Rubio could probably last me through, I guess, depending on the size of the project, six, seven, maybe eight projects. Mm-hmm. I got a question here from Ian. Since he's up at two, I feel like I have to... <laughs> let's, uh, ser- let's service the man. <laughs> and we should probably wrap it up after this one. Okay, it's sure. already 10, 10, 18. Let's do it. Uh, how has the gaming table held up as Great. a dining table as well as a gaming table? I'm keen for a large square mm. rectangular table as opposed to our useless small round one. Well, I will say that we don't use it for gaming purposes as well, much as yeah. we might like to. Yeah. I find that the mechanism to push the the things out. You're going to blame it on that, aren't you? It's hard. It hurts my finger. And the one on the one end is broke and the other one is like... you got to man up a little bit. Anyway, even I do if, have a game in was, there. Even if it was easy, I don't think we would use it that often because here's the problem. We actually do eat there yeah. every night. Yeah. So if you are gaming on there and you're constantly going in and out, it's a convenience thing. So a lot of these things, when we design them on paper, we go, oh, this would be perfect for this scenario. But in reality, when you have two kids and you're eating dinner there every night, it's a real pain in the mm-hmm. butt to go to the table and be like, ah, now I got to move. We, we have to do that anyway. Move move what? If the tabletop is disassembled oh, yeah. and there's just toys or Legos or yeah, a yeah. game in progress, yeah, yeah. it's a lot harder to eat. Like well. we, we complain when the table is sealed up and there's just toys on top, mm-hmm. right? So for practical purposes, it's a little bit annoying to have I to do, go back and forth. I do want you to do what you did on the gaming coffee table, which mm-hmm. is to do the little, the little, the little pull up things, the little pull up with the finger. That's perfect. Yeah, that's, it, that's what I need. It's a little tricky to do because it's plywood. Yeah, but I'll see. I'll see what uh, yeah. I can do. That's what I want. <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, it's it's held up great. Yeah, I actually have fine. a game in there right now that we keep saying we're gonna play, but we haven't. And we have played some games yeah. in there, but because we actually do eat there every night, it's not as it's not getting as much. I think use. it's perfect for puzzles. Dungeons and Dragons, like long-term kind of games yeah. versus like the quick little 20-minute well, game. And we still have kids that are more like they're just now starting yeah. to understand board games. Yeah. And most of their games that they play are like these plastic big giant things or, or Lego that yeah. goes in there. I think as they get older and maybe we'll play longer-term board games, mm-hmm. maybe we'll have games in there that we just put the lid on and then, you know, every night take it off and play. Ian was saying, what about food on the top joints? Really Has that really have, been an issue? No. I just, it, I mean, I get a wet washcloth and I wipe it down. And then I think once it, in a while, especially if you are opening it to play, yeah. you have more opportunity to you wipe might have, it down. Yeah, you, you might want to... You get a little crumb, crumb around the 
are, when you take the, the things out, I'll it, just wipe it down that way. And that's what I'm saying. Like, if, if you actually go in there to play the games, yeah. you'll have more opportunities to just get a, a you know, a washcloth and wipe it down real quick. <laughs> but it's not, it's not bad. It's not terrible. No. And thankfully, you know, our kids are pretty good with spills. We haven't really had any spills to contend with there. There's been spills on it. And I haven't had any problems. I, I mean, you also I, have, I we also have that plexi, plexiglass on underneath it. Yeah, protecting too. The, the game yeah. surface. All right, what All else? Right. Anything? We're La- done? Uh, yep, I think we are done. Did you want to pick a winner? Oh, yeah, I already did. Uh, number five and number five in the question. Johnny Five. Was Jeremy Long. Mm. Jeremy, I will message you right now. And you can pick your project. Pick your project. Pick your pro- Speaking of projects. Yes. Um. Uh, my call for shop teachers to reach out to me uh-huh. uh, has worked. Oh, really? <laughs> I've been getting email daily, multiples from shop teachers needing help with a curriculum. Yeah. So uh, if you would Are like... Are you getting to... any... Uh, oh, yeah, I'm a shop teacher. <laughs> no. I don't they're... know why they'd have to change the voice. But... <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> I swear. They're, they're writing teacher. me from their... Their EDU. Right. That's usually of, how we verify. Yeah, I, I get a lot of, I've been getting a lot of Canadian shop teachers uh, contacting me, as well as U.S. shop teachers. So um, I we do have, because basically what I did was I opened up our scholarship program mm-hmm. to the shop teachers. So if you would like to donate to the shop scholarship, I've basically run out of all the scholarship money. And so I'm just kind of juggling it right now. Yeah. So um, <clears> you <throat> can... It? Got a question from Darth Marcus. Do woodworkers ever opt for long hair? There's a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a few. I've long seen a few. beards, too. Uh, Bob Lang at mm-hmm. Pop Woodworking. Well, he used to be at Pop Woodworking. He, um, I don't think he does anymore. Maybe, maybe he still does. He used to have a big ponytail for the longest time. I don't know. Does he still have it? I don't know. I haven't seen him in a while. Yeah. Uh, who else has long hair? I mean, it's not as common. No. Certainly. But I do think there are, are people who are just fond of uh, having longer hair. It's certainly in the shop, it's a bit of a liability. Um, you do have to be careful. Even if you've got a big ponytail swinging around, there's just stuff spinning around in the shop. So um, I think anyone with long hair has to do a pretty good job of containing it to keep it safe. Pretty, pretty, A little pretty, bit of an occupational good. hazard there. But and Thinking about growing my hair long, Nicole. What do you think? I think I'd look pretty... Uh, I've seen I your high good. school pictures. Look... There, once I get through the curly phase, <laughs> it, it starts to weigh itself down, it's just, and then it only curls in ringlets at the end. It's not a good look. look. It's, it's it, fine. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's fine. You're going to like it, and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> All right. All right. What I'm else gonna, we got? Anything? We're done? Uh, I think well, we're done. Okay. Richard makes a good point. I was just thinking about men. Yeah. He says well, lots of women, of course, yep. uh, women woodworkers have long hair. It's called, I would twist and clip. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, if you're Same joining problems. us, if you are Patreon, we're just going to head on over to the after show just to have more one-on-one with you. Mm-hmm. That's really what the after show is. The, the, chat, the chat slows down and we can talk to you. And we you. catch all the questions. We yep. have a chance to get more coffee. There's That's no coffee left. How dare you? You were up at 5.30. You drank it all. I did. I had like a cup. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Oh, so okay, so I can grow. Morgan says I can grow my hair long, but I have to go back to the flavor saver. <laughs> okay, look, it's a deal. I'll do it. No, you're not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> you want to see? Chewy wants me to go for the perm look. Here's the thing: I don't have to go for the perm look. It would kind of do it on its own. So yeah, I have pretty like 
I, that's why I keep my hair short because mm-hmm. any longer than this, it starts to curl and it looks uh, really stupid. So old Ohio angler, uh, I did schedule this show. It was my mistake. I had the video unlisted by accident. Yep. So wah, that, wah. Sorry. We Nicole were like, what's going up. on? Why is it not? Yeah, we started the show and there were only three people here and we realized it was unlisted. Yeah. So, it's all good. We do our best. Oh, it'll be fine next week. What about women with long Actually, beards? Don't forget, we're doing Tuesday shows. Oh yeah, that's right. So, good, 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 good thinking. Uh, if you want more of this, hey, come. come yeah, we're hang trying. Up. We're you know at least for the time being, we're going to go two shows a week yep. just for funsies. Uh, since a lot of people are stuck home and maybe need something to make them laugh. I know I do, Nicole. Okay. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. Uh, maybe oh. I'll do a Keurig thing. And yeah. Get a quick cup of coffee. Ooh, a Keurig. Okay. Thank you. Uh, thanks for, for watching, everybody, and we'll see you on Tuesday. Tuesday. Stay safe. I'll put a link in the show notes for the scholarship donation too. Okay. Good job. Good job, everyone. Well done. We're talking to our crew, Nicole. Well done, everyone. <laughs> There's no one there. <laughs>